You can forget a lot of things, Foster Care Nation, but never forget this. You're listening to Unparalleled Studios. I signal. Foster Care Nation, listen up. This is Foster Care and Unparalleled Terminator. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Hello and welcome back to Foster Care and Unparalleled Journey with Jason and no Amanda. Again, sorry guys. Um, She's not feeling well today. She's under the weather, so we're going to let her have a break today and go relax, and maybe the kids will let her relax too, and it'll all turn out for the better. We will see. But today I have with us here today Tess Scott. She's the author of the book Listen, Sister. It was published in mid-June. It's out there everywhere you can buy books. You know, go to Amazon, go to to wherever, Barnes & Noble, um, all over the place, and you can find her works there. It'll be linked in the show notes like always so that you can go find it and uh, and uh, be able to check out her work. So, Tess, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Jason. Hey, I'm glad to have you here. I love to hear people with interesting stories because that's really how we communicate in this life. You know, mm-hmm. stories just a part of our our uh, our culture. And so, you know, I want to I want to hear your story partly because you said a couple things when we were talking there just getting ready that that caught my attention. One of them was you said you've had eight boys in your house. Yeah. In my house. Um, we have a, we have a blended family. So, you know, from time to time, there's more than that, but, um, yeah, eight boys. So married before carried through, you know, um, brought four boys with me adopted. We fostered. So adopted, um, a boy who turned out being a special needs, um, son and my husband had two boys from his previous marriage so that made seven and then we had one together so just to you know round out the numbers eight boys and it was fun it was a freak show um that's what we call it so it was we had five teenagers at one time in the house so the amount of milk alone was a really really large staggering number really um but so much fun so much fun you know my mom used to always look at me and say, I think we're just going to have to buy a cow. Yeah. <laughs> and that was just me. That wasn't eight boys. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it was pretty crazy, but, but so much fun. I think they say boys are way different than girls. Like, I don't know. Cause I don't have any girls or any sisters even, or anything. I'm barely a girl myself. I'm more boyish in my, the way I communicate and things like that. But the boys, like they would fight you know, argue and be mad at each other. Then they'd wrestle on the kitchen floor every night. There'd be wrestling on the kitchen floor to kind of see the pecking order. You know, it didn't matter how old you were. It was who could take who. And that person was kind of the king of the house, they thought. And, uh, and so they would fight, maybe even be mad at each other. And then a couple hours later, like, Hey, who's in for the pool? And they'd all be friends again. So I I love that about boys. I love that about boys. It doesn't seem like they harbor any kind of ill for each other for too long. Well, not all of them are like that, but in general, we definitely, we, we tend to, to, uh, to have that pecking order thing figured out. That's why, that's why high school boys fight so much, I think. And then, and then we get along after that. Yeah. It's a natural thing. 
Yeah, it's it, it's good sometimes. Except uh, I told the story a while back. My my two of my my two youngest boys recently were playing a game. Now we're gonna put game in air quotes here because the game was whoever gets hit with a rock twenty times first dies. Mm. And I'm like, um, guys, that's not a game. That's a biblical truth. It's called stoning. Yes. (laughs) And as it turns out, the loser was the car. Um, Oh, no. Yeah, I ended up replacing a window. But nobody got hurt, so that's all good. I do know that as soon as we... went pulled out of the driveway in my uh in my vehicle which is parked next to the vehicle that got a window broken i heard yeah. all kinds of noise and i looked in the mirror and i saw rocks coming off of the roof like landing in the the, the truck and i'm like holy crap <laughs> how many rocks did they actually throw yeah they were on the roof yeah they, they had they had they had rocks everywhere they were on I, a couple of the cars had had rocks that were falling off when we took off yeah i'm like holy crap boys like yeah. this is not normal maybe it is i don't it is. know <laughs> <laughs> I, they're not our first two boys and and the rest of the boys have never done that as far as i know yeah. but our older boys are what 21 and 24 now and i'm yeah. finding out more of the stupid stuff they did yeah see that's that's what happened with me that's why i wrote a book because now i'm learning every time we come together for a meal or thanksgiving or whatever and the boys are all standing around the kitchen talking and then i'm i'm hearing all these stories that i didn't know thankfully at the time i'm like what they tied you to a tree that's crazy (laughs) so uh yeah (laughs) yeah we had a a pet net in the corner of the room once where the kids would throw all their stuffed animals up there and one day they, you know, one too many stuffed animals in the pet net fell and we found later that's because they were jumping into it, trying to see if they could land in it. <laughs> of course they were. Of the stuffed course. animal that, that pulled it off the wall was, was not quite the same stuffed animal they may have led us to believe. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, we raise them anyways. We take care of them. We love them. And, and yeah. we find out later that we probably wanted to strangle them more often than we knew about. Yeah. So I know you mentioned that you fostered and adopted kids. So mm-hmm. what led you into that world? Because, you know, you had um, you said mm-hmm. that the first one that the first son was that after your first marriage. Yeah. Yeah. So when I grew up, my I had an aunt and uncle who um, were foster parents. And so I spent time hung around with some of their foster kids, you know, kind of like cousins to me. And I always thought it'd be neat to be able to be a foster parent. and just, just in kind of the helping out sort of way, you know, there's, there's a lot of need of people to be foster parents. And I just thought it would be, it'd be kind of cool to help out. And we had a big enough house that we had extra, you know, extra room and really um, I have, I'm home. I was home anyways with the kids. I stayed home when the kids were that age and yeah. So, so we decided to become foster parents and it was quite a journey. I mean, I don't think you ever really know what you're getting into maybe, um, I'm glad that we did it, but, um, and I'm not now a foster parent, but we were for years. So yeah, it's, it's quite, it's quite a thing, um, to share your life that way. Oh yeah. Yeah. And and you mentioned it. I'm going to go ahead and just throw a shameless plug in here. That's, that's one of the things that, that Amanda and I are looking at trying to build a community around is some foster and adoptive parent stuff, because man, you think you know what you're getting into and you don't, I promise you. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not saying at all that it can't be done or that it's not worth doing, but we need help along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you think that in life, it's always good to be reminded that you're not alone 
that, you know, today it feels like might feel like really crazy and whatever happened happened, but you're not the only one. You're not the first one that this happened to, you know, you're not the first one that the kid did whatever to your house or to you or hates you because they really want to be with their birth parent or, or whatever the situation is, but it, you're not alone. And I think it's just so encouraging to be with other people who understand that because they walked that before you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, we've, we've had lots of diagnoses in our home. Um, I don't know how many diagnoses we actually carry in the house right now, but you know, if you've never had a kid with reactive attachment disorder and then that shows up in your house, oh my gosh, like you think that the world must look at you and think you're crazy because you feel like you're probably crazy. Mm -hmm. But having had had that experience and then having a couple of guys that I know who who also could. Oh, no, I, I you know, one guy had a daughter who is now grown. He, he walked through that in the past. And another guy that I met, he's walking through that right now with his son who's um, who's got reactive attachment and autism at the same time. Mm -hmm. He's got some really big struggles in his life. Yeah. And, you know, just having that community of, of a couple of people to be able to talk to and be like, dude, I think today I may just give up. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and then you can get that support. Yeah. it's. I think it's really, really important. And, and you don't understand, like, I want to understand and have empathy for people in lots of different situations. But the truth is that the people who understand are the people who have been there to really, like, really seriously understand. Yeah, it's it's not until you've walked those deep roads. And like I said, that that's why we would love to, you know, create this community where. Yeah where people who are dealing with these things specifically can come in and, and share that with other people and maybe even uh, reach out to some of the psychologists and therapists that we've dealt with and talk to some of the people we've interviewed and, and be able to have them kind of walk people through some of these things. Because, yeah. man, if, if you've got a kid with ODD in your house, that's a whole different animal to deal with. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And some of these diagnoses can turn out to be like like you're wrestling with a tiger. Yeah. Do you find that the agency is um, forthright with information for you um, about diagnose, diagnoses? Well, what I have found is that they tell the truth that they know for the most part. Okay. A lot of times they don't know these things yet. You know, they walked into a house last night because of a hotline call. They got a kid out and they're looking to, for a place to put them. And yeah. that's, that's all they know right now. And so they hand you a kid and they can tell you, Hey, as far as we've seen, there's, there's no, no behaviors, nothing going on like that. You know, it's just a kid who needs a place to stay for right now. Nothing big here. And then mm -hmm. you find out later that, you know, Oh, well, wait, hang on. There's this kid has a, has a, what is it? A, is it a five twenty nine plan? I don't think that's it. That's something, what you know, but, but some sort of, some sort of plan through the school district because they already mm -hmm. have lots of you know, behavioral issues and things like that, that other people have seen that they don't know about when, when they're placing yeah. the kid. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. They just need safety at that moment. Yeah. And, and so that's really, really been, been a challenge, you know, in a couple situations for us, we've just had to learn how to, how to walk through that. So mm -hmm. we're, we really want to create a community where people can, can support one another. And that's, um, uh, yeah, I mentioned if, if anybody's listened to this podcast for any time, you'll, you'll hear me talk about the dad's group that I'm a part of, and that's a big part of my life. I'm, I'm part of the leadership team there. And as a matter of fact, I, I had a call this morning that, that I do every week with these guys. And, and, uh, that particular call team is all based around the idea of raising God's most vulnerable children, you know, kids with diagnoses, kids with struggles and traumas and all the things that, 
you know, they maybe they write a book about your particular kid, but you haven't found it yet, and you just need some help figuring out how to walk through this. Mm-hmm. And as much as I can see the prevalence of this in our community of roughly 800 dads, you know, out in this world wow. of foster and adoptive parents, I know that we all struggle with some of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to mentor other people and be mentored by other people. You know. Absolutely. I, I know that I, that I looked at, I was looking at, at some of your stuff and, and, you know, it had mentioned that you had a kid with fetal alcohol syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, that's my son that I fostered and then adopted. So I still do feel like when someone says that he's my son and he has FAS, I feel like I have to say I did adopt him because I don't, I'm like, no, honestly, I did not drink when I was pregnant. Really. I didn't, but um, so I remember the day they called me, um, my worker called me from CAS is what we call it in Canada. I don't know. Children's aid society. And said, um, can you take this um, little baby boy? He's eight weeks early four pounds. Um, you'll have him for about two weeks until he's, um, you know, we get crown warden, he can be adopted. And I know that you don't want to adopt. And I didn't, um, cause we already had four boys, which was a huge family. And, um, and I, and I said, and if I was going to adopt, it sure wouldn't be a boy. Cause I have already four boys. Right. So, oh yeah. Like Tess knows what she's talking about over here. So, uh, they play, <laughs> they place him with me and, um, and he was the sixth baby of this mom who was 28. It was her sixth baby who she had lost them all um, to care. And so that's that's what I agreed to. I was going to have this baby, this four pound defenseless premature, a week premature baby. And I was going to have him for two weeks. Now, that was um, 23 years ago. And I still have him. So <laughs> you don't know. This is the 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 moral of that story is you don't know <laughs> what what's going to happen. Oh, absolutely. You know, we've got baby girl that people have probably heard cooing and on and occasionally screaming at us on in the background over here from time to time and and you know, she was she was born addicted to fentanyl and mm-hmm. you know, her mom is kind of the same way. She's had six other six other children that she's all lost, you know, lost her parental rights on and they're either in the system or they're adopted. And then baby's dad has four, um, four other children that are the same that he has no connection with because, uh, cause he's lost his parental rights on them. Mm-hmm. And even that being said, we don't know her story. We don't know that, that, you know, God doesn't get a hold of one of them's life somewhere and they turn their life around and change that. We don't know if she'll be available for adoption at some point or how long she'll be with us. That's been one of those great big mm-hmm. question marks in our life because quite honestly, I'm getting too old for this stuff. I think <laughs> if, but, if she stayed- what an honor that you get to feed into her life, even for whatever amount of time it is like you are making an impact on her life. You can't oh. deny that. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. I just know that if she stays in, in our house until she turned 18, I will be, over 60 years old, I will have been our oldest son. We, we were one of the youngest uh, parents at graduation and we will then be on the other end of that. As a matter of fact, I had a very first thing happen the other day. I had baby girl with me and I've walked into the gas station to grab something real quick. And the gas station attendant says, Oh, she's so cute. She's just so adorable, squishy and cute. She's just so cute. And I just, I, you know, it's, it's right here by the house. I know the people who work there. And she says, I said to her, I said, how come nobody says that to me? They always say that to her. They don't tell me I'm cute. And she looks at me very seriously and says, it's okay. I'm sure she got all of her cute looks from grandpa. 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> that was one of those moments. I kind of yeah. take a breath and go, yep. All right. I'm not even going to get mad at you. I get it. Like, I've got a little bit of gray shown, but not a lot yet. Not a lot, eh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, if, if that's your story, that's where it'll end up. If not, we, we don't know at this point. We think we know where these things are headed, you know, mm-hmm. but but we never know. We've, we've had, I actually have three children tattooed on my body that I don't own. I have, I have seven that I do own on me, but, mm-hmm. but there's three of them that, that we really thought were going to be lifetime placements who were just mm-hmm. perfect fits in our family. It did not look like, you know, the case was going to go that way. And that's not how it turned out. Mm-hmm. And as much yeah. as we wanted to be part of their life forever, it's amazing that their parents did get their stuff together and create a life where where they could take care of their children on a, on a daily basis, and yeah. these kids get that opportunity to grow up with their biological parents and have that experience. But you know, to what you you were saying, Tess, you know, just that idea that that we had that time to to feed into their lives. Mm-hmm. It, it's 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 an honor, honestly, to be able to take a kid and be that place for that time while they needed it. Mm-hmm. It is, it is. But fostering is not for the weak of heart. I mean, it is heartbreaking sometimes when things like that happen, especially if you're so sure, um, you know, you feel really confident or really sure and really hopeful that it's going to be a lifetime placement. And then court doesn't go the way that you think um, or it breaks down. And it's, and it's really heartbreaking. It really is. You have to be strong. I assume that Canadian um, laws, just like it is here in the States, that, that the judge gets to make the decision and you do, they don't actually care too much if you agree with them? I believe that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that's true. And they do, I mean, obviously, well, maybe it's not obvious. They try to place the child back in the home, if at all possible. And um, yeah, and sometimes you just, you don't even understand the, the decision, but we don't have a choice in it. Right. So it's just being that person in that child's life for however long it is. Um, We had a lot of kids placed, um, well, not placed, but we did um, like relief work. So if other foster parents went on holidays or just to have a child for a short amount of time until they went to a permanent or not permanent, but long term foster care um, home, that kind of thing. So you know, like kind of a revolving door for <laughs> a little while of short of short term kids in and out. But still, you make you still make an impact on those kids for that short amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. Here here in, uh, in the States, they call it respite. Um, but yeah, a lot yeah. of parents do respite care. And and um, my goodness, God bless them, because you, you are that revolving door means you have revolving diagnoses coming through. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's heartbreaking to see them come and everything they own is in a black plastic bag, right? A black garbage bag. Like it just feels really awful to think everything you own in the world, all the things that are precious to you, you know, your snuggly animals and your jammies and whatever fits in that little plastic bag. It's just, yeah, Yeah. it's sad. It's sad. And I think it is hard on your own kids too. It was hard on my kids and and our kids and their relationships um, because it's heartbreaking for them to lose friends who were like brothers and sisters even. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It is hard for your own and your own family too. And maybe you have rules in your house that those kids aren't used to, or it changes your family dynamic sometimes. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. You know, and you know, you can probably speak to this a bit, but as, as my younger or my older boys have gotten to the age they're at when they were younger and they experienced this, we've heard more and more, um, thoughts and, and experiences that they had. We, we've talked more about the things that's going on in their life. And, um, and they've talked about what they felt when, when they were younger and we started this and it's, mm-hmm. we've heard some really interesting things. My one particular son mentioned to me that, you know, to some level they felt like, you know, maybe they just weren't good enough. And that's why we were out looking for more kids. Mm, that's sad. Right. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, that's, it's kind of a, a heartbreaking thing to hear from your child. You yeah. Know? They're older now. They understand what's going on there now a lot better. But but to know that that's one of the things that they dealt with and we didn't even realize it at the time. No, kids don't verbalize those sorts of things likely. So my boys never would have said that out loud for sure. So I guess that just having the communication with the kids to talk through it all. Yeah. Yeah. So how many kids did you foster over time? Do you know? No, I don't know. I wouldn't even know the number. Um. The, the child, my son that we adopted, TJ, he is the one that we had for the longest amount of time, obviously. And then we had boys and girls coming through, but mostly short term, mostly short term. Yeah, Amanda and I have um, have talked from time to time and tried to count the number of kids that we've had. And uh, we come up with a similar number most of the time. Yeah. So we're somewhere between 20 and 30 kids over the last roughly decade and a half not quite that much but yeah it's it's somewhere yeah. in, that, in that number but it's it's amazing how many how many opportunities you have to speak into the lives of kids yeah along that road yeah and how much do you learn like i think i grew in certain in different ways through that whole experience like being reminded that even though i think like man that child's mother is you know, whatever, doing, doing drugs and wasn't home and left them alone and made these mistakes. And, but that child loves that mother. Right. And all he can think of is he wants to be home with that mother. That's his mother. Right. So I have to, like, I would never have said anything bad about any of their parents, of course, but, um, but that's their mother. And just that love and that loyalty that they have with that parent was surprising at first to me. Yeah. You, you don't necessarily think that, you know, because people say all the, the, the crazy things that, that's supposed to be encouraging, I guess, you know, all oh, those kids are so lucky that you're there for them. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, at some level you want to believe that that's, that's the truth, but the truth is, is they're not lucky to need me, Mm-mm. you know, mm-hmm. and they don't see it that way either. And if I, if I start to believe that idea, then then I'm going to create a lot of problems in our relationship. Like, aren't you lucky you got me to, to stay with? Like, look at how awesome I am. And yeah, I'm the hero I, over here. Right. Yeah. I thought yeah. it was obvious just how much of a superhero I was. But, you know, you can't see that today, son. You know, the cape and everything. Yeah. <laughs> I may or may not have worn a cape a few times. But I, I dress up in all kinds of things when my kids get, get the, the wild hair, you know, in their, in their mind to to go do crazy stuff to dad. But yeah, it's, it's that, that mentality though has to be, to be broken to some level inside of us, I think, because, you know, look at, I want to give to all these kids and that's great. But the more you believe that what I'm doing is super special, eh, it changes the way you look at this and, and Mm -hmm. understanding how these kids come to your home with oftentimes lots of diagnoses that you may not understand. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, if, if you have a kid come to your house with DMDD, what do you do with that? What does that mean? What does that mean about their perspective? 
Mm. And it's, it's a lot of learning. Yes. If you're wise, it'll be a lot of learning. Mm-hmm. If not, you'll assume that they'll just understand your intentions. Yeah. That's, that's been a hard part for us. Yeah, that, that is hard. And every kid, I think I can say every kid that, that we ever had, had some kind of um, like special, they wouldn't be in this situation. They can't come through this situation and come into foster care totally unscathed. It's, it's a traumatizing thing just to be taken away from your home, not to mention what happened there before they were taken. There's going to be some kind of damage, I think. Like, would you agree with that? 100%. You know, I think every kid who's either in foster care or adopted, period, mm-hmm. has that loss of first family. Yeah. You know, even even if we talk about, you know, kids like baby girl who's staying with us right now, she she never met her mom, mm-hmm. you know, for more than a very short time frame in the hospital. Um, but she spent nine months hearing her talk. She spent mm-hmm. nine months in utero. And there's mm-hmm. that connection that that was disconnected in that process. So she stays with us for long term. That's something that has to be dealt with. Yeah. And it's a ch- and every child reacts to it differently. Yeah. Yeah. I was really shocking to me. Um, TJ, his he never met his mom, so he was apprehended in the hospital because he was her um, sixth baby, and so they knew that she couldn't care for a child. And she has her own diagnosis. And um, so we had him from birth until now, forever. And um, now I forget what I was going to say because that happens to me sometimes. (laughs) I blame it on kids. And with eight kids of your own, uh, you you have that excuse. Oh, now now I know. Thank you. That helps me. Yeah. Thank you for the excuse. Yeah. Um, So he was living at kind of a, um, a sort of a group home sort of situation once he grew up. And when he was 18, he had some issues and violence and things like that. And so he couldn't live here anymore. And I was, I also had cancer. So I was in chemo and like, it just wasn't working out well. So he was an adult by then and maybe he was 19 actually. So he went to this group home situation and he was on Facebook and his birth mother, because we live in the same city and I've never ran into her all these years, found him. I didn't change his name and, uh, and found him and he looks identical to his half brother. So there was no doubt who he was. And she found him and sent him a message and said, Hey, um, how are you doing? Hi, TJ, how are you doing? And he said, okay, who's this? This is your mother. Mm. And he said, what? He knew he was adopted. And, uh, he said, what, this is your mother. Do you want to meet me? Okay. So she said, come to the mall. So he biked over to the mall and by the end of the day, he moved in with her. So he gave like, because this is the, um, uh, this is the kind of thinking that he does, right. Very like just jumping into things without thinking through them because he has FAS. So, um, the next day I called him or he hadn't called me or something. And he calls me several times a day. Where, what are you, what are you doing? Where are you? Oh, I'm at her house. I'm like, what? 
what are you doing? What? Oh yeah. I moved in here yesterday. I'm like, we waited weeks and weeks to get a placement at this special house for him to be there and funding and all this stuff to get him into this place where he was safe and taken care of and his needs met. And in one day he just moved out and moved in with these people that he never met his whole entire life. And yeah, it was, it was really concerning and scary and it changed everything. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, kids with a lot of these things have a lot of struggles with impulse control. That's it. Very impulsive. That was the word. Yeah. Very impulsive. Now that didn't last. Um, He was there for not a month, but, and, you know, so there was lots of trying to figure out what we're going to do after that. But um, she did take advantage of him. So that was sad. And one of the problems is that because if you're over 18, then you're an adult. So you can make those kinds of decisions, even if cognitively you're not over 18. And you really can't make those kinds of decisions well. Um, but that's that's just what happens? So then you work through it and you figure it out because life doesn't go the way we think it's going to most of the time. Um, but he's safe and he's fine. So for that, I'm thankful. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we have one particular kid who we've dealt with a lot of impulse issues with. There was, there was some bio moms, you know, drama in the middle of all that. And, uh, mm-hmm. we actually had a conversation yesterday where he, he's, he says that he's finally realized who she really is. And he is not interested in that anymore. He has no more connection. But, but yeah, he he's had to step into that to see for himself, yeah, understand what it really was. Because so many people, we we do have some some connections with some of the bio family, and so many people have this negative idea of of foster care in their mind and think that oh well they just take kids for money. And I'm I laugh because here in here in the states, I don't know how they do it in Canada, but here in the states we do get a small stipend and. Mm-hmm emphasis on the word small because in the state of Missouri, I think we're the second lowest paid state in the nation. Mm. We get a, a, to what is it? Almost $250 a month to raise a kid. It's not wow. a lot. And if no. you do it right, you're going to lose money. Yeah. This yeah. kid wanted to play football. So guess who paid for all the football gear and the signups mm-hmm. and the registration and made it to all the stuff mm-hmm. and all the, and not to mention as a teenage boy, you probably understand this really well. The food bill. Yeah. Two hundred and fifty dollars worth of milk. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that, that you mentioned that because he was he was that kid. If there was if there was three gallons of milk in the refrigerator, one of them was gone when it when he first grabbed it. Like I, I don't yeah. know if he's just chug a whole gallon or what, but this kid could like and milk's not cheap these days. It's like, nope. oh, oh, slow down, bud, slow down. Everybody's gotta survive on this for the next week. All right. Yeah. You, know, you get a portion of this, that's fine, but let's not let's not do a gallon at a time. That's a bit yeah. much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, watching that has been such an interesting thing, you know, and, and he's still in the process of growing through a lot of those hard stuff. He's he's in that hard place right now. Mm-hmm. And beginning to see how how those impulsive decisions affect his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure if DJ will ever really understand that because he has been at a place where he said, Oh, you know, I know she t- she took advantage of me and you know, or whatever, she ripped me off and I don't want to have anything to do with her. But then it circles around again. So it seems like I think it with him in this situation, it may all always be part of his kind of cycle. Um, so we just do our best to keep him safe and, you know, care for his needs. And, and it's a lifelong thing. 
right? Yeah. And that's, that's one of the struggles with some of these diagnoses is that mm-hmm. it's not that this kid has this thing that you're going to take him to the, to the psychologist or the psychiatrist and he's going to get a little therapy or a little bit of medication. Everything will be fine after that. Mm-hmm. It's a lifelong thing yeah. that doesn't change 20 years from now. Yeah. It doesn't change after I pass away. That's right. Yeah. It's a big, in, it's a big investment, right? It's investment for your whole family. Like even his brother's you know, that they have that relationship, which sometimes is difficult. It's difficult to be in relationship with someone who has fetal alcohol spectrum disorder um, because of the impulsiveness, because, I mean, he's called me more names than any of my other boys all put together. Um, just because I said the little word, no, it's not his favorite word. So he, but I know he reacts that way. So eh, that's all right. And then he'll hang up on me and then I'll hear from him the next day, like nothing happened. It's all part of it, but I'm thankful that we could make a difference in his life, right? That like God allowed us to have him and to raise him as part of our family. Like he's part of, he's one of the boys and, and just what that's been like, even for the other boys to be selfless in situations because, you know, kids aren't just naturally selfless people. It's good for them. Wait, your kids aren't just selfless? Uh, no, they're not. Huh. <laughs> and nor am I. <laughs> if, if left to myself, I am a selfish person. So it's it's good for us to share our lives with other people. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you, you mentioned it a couple times here, but how spirituality played into your, your decision to foster and adopt? Is oh, that- man. I, I can't even imagine how I would have made it through one day if I didn't pray. Um, it was... It, I couldn't have, I just know that I just, I just could not have because it like, it keeps you on your knees, man. That's, that's what I think. Um, all of it, like, actually my book is called listen, sister, finding hope in the freak show of life, because our life was a freak show. And, and that's our only, that was our only hope. That is our only hope is that God's watching us. He's getting us through from one day to the next. And, that's, that's just some, some days I just needed it to breathe. I just needed that relationship with God. Well, you know, I've, I've dealt with chronic pain for a good part of my life. And I kind of wonder if that's not just God's way of trying to convince me to get down on my knees a bit more often (laughs) (laughs) because we've dealt with a lot of those things. A lot of the, uh, a lot of the things that, that are difficult for us as a family to work our way through, you know, we have, um, you know, one of our kids, um, you know, we were dealing with incontinence at, at six, seven years old. And that's not a normal thing. Mm-hmm. That's not something that doesn't cause problems in the family either, you know, mm-hmm. amongst other siblings and all that. It's, it's part of the challenge that, that we deal with as a family and it's hard, you know, it's, it's really mm-hmm. hard to figure out how to walk through those journeys and not know what that's going to look like. Yeah. Know? Yeah. It is hard. And for siblings, like you said, it is difficult. And we've had with um, TJ, like, I'm not sure. I think it's more like he doesn't care, but he still sometimes um, poops in his pants and he's in his twenties, but it's, I don't think it's that he can't, I don't think it's that he's not toilet trained. I think it's that he does not care. He doesn't care. He doesn't want to have a shower. He has problem problem with the whole cleaning um, idea, you know, personal care. He, he doesn't, he's not a fan. You know, and if, if I don't know if it's the sound of one kid coming through there, I, I don't want to say a whole lot as he walks by because, but we still deal with that with, with our seven-year-old from time to time. Ironically, 
here, but it's been a few months back. Um, we, we started taking them to church because I'm, I'm on my own spiritual journey. I was raised in an unhealthy religious environment and I walked away pretty hard for a long, long time. And as we've been going back and he said to my wife here a while back, he says, you know, I learned in Sunday school that nobody can control me except for God. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to have any accidents in my pants anymore because God can, God can control that. And I'm not going to say that it's been a hundred percent, but it has been way better than it ever was. Hmm. And I look at it and I go, wow, you know, that's one of those things that, that I have been on my knees about a bit that I'm going, how do we deal with this? You know, this kid uh-huh. was, was in kindergarten dealing with this stuff and that's hard for a kid. That but, is hard. You, know, you do what you can and, uh, and leave the rest to bigger hands than yours. That's right. Yeah. That's really cool. That's a really great. Yeah. It kind of blew my mind that when he, he came to my wife with that, with that realization in his own life. And, and so far, like I said, it's, it's been way better. It's, mm-hmm. you know, we have the occasional accident and it's usually very, very small, but before that it was a whole different thing. And, you know, we've, we found some, some medical conditions that, that could be part of it. You know, endopresis is a real thing. And, uh, you know, that fight or flight mechanism steps in and for a kid who was born addicted, fight or flight mm-hmm. is a much easier place for their brain to get to. And if you look back into to some of the literature that's written about um, about soldiers in combat, there's one particular book I read a while back by Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, I think it is. Um, it's called On Killing or On Combat. He has two books. It was one of those two. And he's, ta- he's a psychologist in the military and talks about how it's actually very, very normal for when soldiers first step into, into live fire combat for them to to either, you know, pee or poop on themselves in the middle of combat. Because hmm. the brain goes that fight or flight, and you immediately evacuate everything that's not going to help you move forward, and that that's a thing. And I go, huh? Like wow. I hate that. And so this kid, if if he gets in trouble, shortly after that, we would have we would have something. Sometimes not yeah. always. There was no hundred percent thing to this, but I looked at it and went, oh, well, let's talk to the psychologist about this. And she said, I'm gonna have to read up on that one. I'm like, yeah, you do that because. <laughs> Because we're so interested and it's it just goes back to talking about how hard some of this stuff can be because I've never heard of that before in my life. No, I didn't know that. I never heard of that either. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's it's called endopresis. And, um, you know, it's something that we spend some time doing a little bit of research on, like I said, talking to a psychologist because I am a part time psychologist. Um, my, my college degree is written in crayon by me. <laughs> So, so it's, it's an entirely experiential degree. It's, it's not worth anything, but, uh, but it's enough to where those experiences in life, you can share that with others and and at least point people in a direction of finding some information from people who do know what's going on there. Yeah, that's important. That's why we're doing this. That's why we're doing this and encouraging each other. Absolutely. You know, before I let you get out of here though, I do want to, want to hear a little bit about your book. Can you tell me about your book? What, what got you to write it and what it's about? Okay. So um, my book, well, I knew in the last couple of years that God wanted me to share my story. Lots of people say like, oh man, you got to write a book, right? People probably say that to you. And um, because of, you know, raising eight boys, um, adopting TJ, um, then I ha- then um, my last husband, Rick and I got divorced. And then after three, we were divorced for three years and got back together and remarried. Like that's crazy. And just all the things, but not the book is not like the whole story of my life. It's like little individual stories that are like one 
um, one or two pages long, just little story and then kind of what I learned from it. And they're funny and you can read it in like two minutes in the bathroom while your kids are like banging on the door, trying to get in. And uh, cause you only have a little short time when your life is a freak show, you don't have a lot of time to read. Um, so, but it's encouraging, right? Because someone else is in that spot. Like, like one night I went to put my kids to bed and I said, there's two of them together in the same bed. And I said, okay, time to go pee. And they're like, we don't have to go pee. Oh, I know you always say that. Just run in and go pee. No, no. And I found out every night they've been peeing in the Lego box. <laughs> well, you know what? I opened the lid. It almost like blew me over. It was disgusting. It's all laying in the Legos that are upside down are all full of pee and oh my word. But like these things happen. I just want to say to all the moms out there, these are normal things. They happen to other people too. And you'll get through it. So you throw all the Lego in the bathtub, put some bleach in and then lay it all out on towels and dry it. And it's all going to be fine. Don't worry. And then you'll laugh about it later on. It'll be a long, long time from now, but you'll laugh about it later on. So it's just like little stories about like that. And uh, and even some from when I was a kid or when my kids were kids and and adopting TJ and all the things and and just having a sense of humor about it and encouraging other women that they're not alone. It's okay. We all feed our kids Cheerios for supper. Sometimes like the bar has to be low and, uh, and you'll get through it, you know? And I think if, I think um, years ago, maybe we knew each other on different levels or our relationships were different. And now people see each other more on social media, you know? So I think if you're a young woman and you see, other moms and you see their Instagram account with this big, beautiful house and the pumpkin on the porch and the wreath on the door, like that's not real. That's not real. And if you walk in through that woman's front door and go into her living room, there is laundry on her couch, just like at your house. And we're all in imperfect lives and we need to be real with each other and we need to encourage each other. So that's, that's what the book is about. Listen, sister, finding hope in the freak show of life. You know, I wish Amanda could have been here today because somebody needs to tell her that when the when the caseworker shows up or the therapist shows up at the house, the house does not need to be perfect. They understand. They know better. I know. I know. But we want it to be. We want it to be. When um when my caseworker came when we were having the the uh, interview to find out whether they're going to actually let you have other people's kids in your house. And, um, she, what my, two of my kids had chicken pox or something. I don't know some, I forget what it was, but some kind of childhood disease. And so she went down the hall to talk to them and I was getting juice or I don't know, doing something in the kitchen. We had four kids at the time. And I walked into the bedroom to hear what they were saying. And my son, one of my sons had this, um, like little spoon that I had used for spanking sometimes. And it was, it was flexible. And he said, this is what she hits us with. And this is how she does it. <laughs> I was like, Oh my word. <laughs> They're going to take my kids away. <laughs> it was just, Oh, but they understand, right? They like, it was just, uh, yeah, it was quite a moment there. <laughs> a good thing. I didn't do that at my house when I was growing up. Cause my mom would have had to go into the freezer to get the switch out of the freezer because she found that switch. It was perfect. It had yeah, good yeah. action. She didn't want it to dry out, so she put it in the freezer. And when it was your turn, <laughs> she would set it on the counter, and you got to watch that sucker thaw. I think my kids say that the waiting was up was the worst part. <laughs> Imagine sitting in the kitchen watching it thaw, waiting for your turn. Yeah, she, there's four of us growing up. She only used it four times. I can't imagine. You'd only yeah. I even the threat of it would probably be enough. Yeah, you either got good. Or you get good at being sneaky. One of the yeah. two. 
there those yeah. two things yeah she, she only used that sucker four times we each got one round and we said no more i'm done yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm gonna be better at not getting caught or i'm gonna actually behave yeah. one of the two yeah i know i don't advise that as a way to to discipline kids you know no. switches are switches are a bit um yeah I, I may have been kind of a hard-headed kid and may have needed a little bit of attention you know drawn to to getting that hard-headedness out of me at least that's what my mom will tell you i I keep telling her like how lucky she was because yeah. you know honestly as as we walk through this journey and some of the things that we see some of the struggles we, we have walked through i'm like mom honestly you don't know what what rough child rearing is like you, you did not deal with this stuff i know i was kind of a butthead sometimes <laughs> i know that at, at 14 15 years old i was a 14 15 year old boy and you had to deal with that i get it but yeah. but you didn't deal with some of this stuff you know some of the things we've seen is just like Okay, you know, like when when Turtle comes into the room the other day and says he's shaking his hands. My hand really hurts, Dad. I said, "What's wrong? What happened?" He said, "Well, Frankie's face really hurts my hand." (laughs) (laughs) Nice, right? Yes, yes. Well, that kind of thing did happen and still happens. That's right. The joys of raising boys. The joys of raising boys. Oh, so fun! So fun. It really, and honestly, I was always terrified of raising girls because everybody has so many horror stories, but I'm just going to say this out loud and, and you know, Janai, if you're listening to this, she does listen once in a blue moon. My daughter at 15 years old is still one of the easiest kids I've had to raise. She, she really works. She's a smart kid. She works hard to keep her academics up. She goes out into the world. She's kind for the most part. As much as you could, uh-huh. more than you would expect out of any typical 15-year-old girl, she's just a good kid. And oh, it has been so me? nice to not have that fear that everybody screams about. I'm like, no, no, y'all don't know what you're talking about. Like, my little guys, oh, my gosh. <laughs> they the, the few gray hairs that I have gotten that were well-earned, I'll say that at least. Uh, that's so, lovely. Yeah, kids kids are a struggle sometimes, but what I've found through this journey is that at the end of the day, the struggle may be hard, but it's worth it most of the time. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't. It was a freak show, but I wouldn't. I love the freak show. Not every day, though. Every day I did not love it. I have to be honest. There was days that I was overwhelmed. There was days that I, yeah, that I wanted out. There was, you know, there was days that were that were not my favorite, but it helps to have people that come alongside you. It helps to have friends who also have kids or who also foster, who also are adoptive parents that can say, yep, this is why this is happening. Or maybe not even why, yep, this happened to me too. We're going to get through this today. People that are praying for you, people like you need people in your court. Yeah, I have a guy who's come into my life who's been something of a spiritual mentor. And um, he, he's one of those guys when stuff goes sideways, and I, I'm on the phone with him, and I'm like, Joe, buddy, mm-hmm. <laughs> talk to me. I, I know it's 10 o'clock at night, and I should be in bed, and you probably were. Give me 15 minutes here, brother. And and he's one of those people who, who will come alongside of me and, you know, and, and help me put my head back in the safe place, you know, and spend time, you know, praying mm-hmm. with me and talking to me about the things that he's learned. He's a few years ahead of me in his journey. And, yeah. and he has that, you know, more of that wisdom that, that I'm figuring out how to gain. And then you have people who you're ahead of and you have already said that you're feeding into them. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. I have a, I have a handful of guys that, that I really do try to feed into because I mm-hmm. feel like all these hard things that we deal with in life, if we, if we walk through it and then just go, <sighs> I made it through and that's it. We've wasted a lot of pain. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. So important. To be able to hand that those hard learned lessons to people as they're going through the, the tough stuff and allow them to do it where they don't have as much damage in their life only means that they can raise another generation that'll be ahead of them. Yeah, agreed. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, that that's that's our goal in life. You know, that's 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 part of what, what we're here for, you know, and not not everyone knows why they're on this earth. Mm-hmm. You know, most people don't have yeah. a purpose in their life that they're they're struggling after. I do. I, I was fortunate enough to find mine at a younger age and, and that's that's part of what I do. You know, I am a father to the fatherless. That's that's part of the reason I live here in this world and this time, this place, and all those all those pieces are lined up for a reason. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm slowly learning that that uh, that that very unhealthy view of spirituality that I grew up with was was exactly that. It was just a bunch of it was a bunch of crap. It was unhealthy and it wasn't realistic. But um, mm-hmm. but there's a purpose for me here, mm-hmm. and it makes all this so much more worthwhile. Yeah. Well, Tess, I want to thank you for coming in here today and sharing your story with us because you definitely have a perspective that not everyone can speak to. Well, I'm thankful. Thanks for having me on. Okay, Foster Care Nation. Thank you for listening to Tess's story. Now, take her knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you would like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at jason at fostercarenation.com. You can connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. Don't forget, we have an account over at Buy Me A Coffee. It's like a virtual tip jar where you can help us fund our mission for as little or as much as you want. It's at buymeacoffee.com slash fostercare. The links to everything is in the show notes in your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And as always, you are so super awesome. I thank you guys so cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Unparalleled Studios. Studios. Studios.